In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Today is the 11th Sunday after Trinity, and we are continuing in Luke's Gospel. We're starting today in chapter 14 of Luke's Gospel with verse 1. And then you'll notice that after verse 1, we're skipping to verse 7. Verse uh, 1 begins with a reminder that we have a change in scenery, where you have a change in location. And as we've said before in the Gospels, when Jesus changes location, when he travels, the theme changes, the theme of his teaching changes. And while he's in that place, after that change, then we have this scene continue. So here we have a new scene, we have a new place, and we read that it's on the Sabbath day. This is very important because Jesus is teaching about the Sabbath all the way through Luke's Gospel. You'll remember back in chapter 6 where we read that uh, he was walking through the fields with his disciples and they were rubbing the uh, heads of grain and they were eating them. And the Pharisees come and complain saying that they're doing work on the Sabbath day. You'll remember that Jesus' response is to remind them of King David when he is fighting with his fighting men. They go into the temple and they eat the the showbread that was reserved for the priests. And what Jesus is reminding them is that this is a new day, that there is a new temple, and that we are not here to serve the Sabbath, but rather the Sabbath is here to serve us. And he's teaching a radical new understanding of the Sabbath. In this passage, these verses 2 through 6 that we missed this morning, Jesus heals a man, and the Pharisees again are upset that he's healing. Again, this is a theme that we see throughout the Gospel, that they're upset that he is healing on the Sabbath day, that Jesus is doing works of grace and mercy. Mercy in that he forgives sins, and grace in that he heals them. And they're upset that he would do this kind of work on the day of the Sabbath. And so in response to that, Jesus introduces this theme about, uh, about how it is that we're supposed to be in relation to God. So he's taking a step back from teaching of the Sabbath and reminding us about our relationship to God. Now just as an aside about the Sabbath, you'll remember in Genesis that Saturday is the seventh day. That the seventh day is the day of rest. And so the Sabbath day is the day when we remember uh, the creation and we remember God celebrating uh, His creation. You'll know that uh, the year is based on the uh, sun and the earth's movement around the sun, that the month is based on the cycles of the moon around the earth to give us the year and the month, but the week is given to us by revelation. The seven-day week is a revelation from God in Genesis, and so our keeping of the days of the week are part of the way that we remember the creation and that we celebrate. And of course, we're not going to stop that. We're also not going to stop gathering on Sundays, because what was revealed to us in the resurrection was that God has instituted an eighth day, a new creation, where He has remade heaven and earth, and He has instituted His new heavenly city of Jerusalem, His new kingdom. And so we read that the eighth day is the day of, of Sunday, a new day when we come together, a day outside of time and space for God to recreate the world. And so the early Christians, the first generation, continued to meet in the synagogues and to go to the temple and would have met and kept the Sabbath in the synagogues on Saturday, 
But then Sunday, which was a work day in the Roman Empire, they would have gathered at sunup just before they were going to work. So very early in the morning, while the, the, the skies were still dark, they would go to their homes and places of worship, and they would gather together as a community. And as the sun rose, they would celebrate the resurrection to memorialize the myrrh-bearing women who came to find the tomb empty and to celebrate the resurrection of Christ in the tomb and to receive his body and blood and Holy Communion. And so we won't stop meeting on Sundays either because every time we come together on a Sunday morning, we too are remembering the resurrection. We're celebrating Christ's resurrection from the dead. So what is it? What is this new understanding of the Sabbath that Jesus gives us? He tells this kind of parable where he talks about uh, a man being invited to a wedding feast. And he says, when you're invited to a wedding feast, uh, follow this kind of etiquette. It's important that we notice that it's a wedding feast that he's talking about because we have to understand our relationship to God and one another through the understanding of marriage. When people say, why are Christians so hung up about marriage and so hung up about the relationship between a man and a woman, our reply has to be that this is an essential way that we understand God's relationship to mankind. If we don't understand the institute of marriage, we won't be able to understand our relationship to God. And indeed, marriage reveals some very fundamental and important truths about our relationship to God and our relationship to one another. A fundamental understanding. And so, of course, we know that Christ is the groom. He is the one that invites us to his marriage with the bride, who is the lamb, the church, right? So God is marrying the church. And so we are invited to that marriage. And when we're invited to God's marriage, when we're invited to his uh, joining himself, right, to mankind, we're invited to his dwelling and his intimate relationship with mankind through the incarnation and the resurrection, through holy communion and baptism, through our singing of songs and prayers, where we're invited to that intimate connection, uh, we are, are supposed to approach that wedding feast with humility. It's only in humility that we're able to connect with God. If we are going to connect with Him, if we're going to dwell with Him, if we're going to be one with Him, we have to do it through humility. Now many readers might see this and think, oh, this is a nice piece of etiquette that Miss Manners would tell you, right? That next time you're at a party, you want to think about who the guests are and who the host is and to, to follow this kind of etiquette. And certainly it is that. Jesus is telling us something very important about our relationship with one another and about etiquette. But he's teaching us so much more and so much deeper uh, that our relationship to God, if we are going to connect with him, has to be out of a place of humility, that we have to be like water which always seeks the lowest place. Water always finds the lowest place. And so when we find that low place, when we find our humility, when we understand that we are low and that we are creatures in relation to God on high and we really live in that low place, that is where God will meet us and where he will connect with us. And when we're lowering ourselves, we're looking up to God and we're waiting on him to take us by the hand and to lift us up out of that low place. So what we do when we humble ourselves is we not only recognize our true place and relationship to God, but we're also looking to Him and saying, Lord, if I'm to be any higher than I am, if I'm to receive any blessing or honor, it's going to come from you, not from me. So we lower ourselves and we look up to God. 
I think one of the greatest places that we see this relationship unfolded and explained is in this book of Ecclesiasticus. Now Ecclesiasticus is a book of what we call the Deuterocanon or the Apocrypha. These books that are written between Malachi and uh, and, uh, Matthew's Gospel. Uh, This one is written in about uh, the 2nd century BC, around 180, by a scribe by the name of Jesus ben Sirach. And he was a scribe in Jerusalem, and he was in that wisdom tradition, and he was reminding the people of Israel at a very low place in their national history. The Greeks had come in and desecrated the temple. Uh, They are uh, in that place where they're close to turning towards the Romans. They're so desperate for help. Right to invite the Romans in. We know how that turns out. And so they're in this really low place and they're in this place of of uncertainty and in fear because of these great nations that are surrounding them. Uh, Because of the the great nations of Syria and the great nations of Egypt and the the, the Greek uh, uh, countries that are around them. And so he reminds the people about their relationship to God. He reminds them where wisdom comes from. And the way that he does this is to remind them uh, that they are dust. He takes a very kind of uh, radical, grotesque, if you will, stand. And he reminds the people, he says, why would dust and ash act arrogantly? So he's reminding us that we are made of dust and ash. If we're going to know our place, we have to know that we are made of dust. And as we say on Ash Wednesday, to dust we will return. So another way of saying it is, why be arrogant if you're ash? What's there to be arrogant about? And then he says that the beginning of pride, the beginning of arrogance, is departing from the Lord. Another way of saying that is, depart from the Lord and you will become arrogant. See, people that remove themselves from God, they forget to read their scriptures, they forget to uh, acknowledge their relationship to God, they become more and more arrogant because we fall into those easy ways of comparing ourselves to one another, right? At least I'm not as lazy as him, at least I'm not as uh, stupid as that guy. We start to raise ourselves up and we create idols out of ourselves. We deprecate one another and call each other names and put each other down so that we can raise ourselves up. And the only antidote to that is to be in relationship to God because we're in relationship with Him when we're recognizing His greatness, we're acknowledging our lowness, that we are creatures and that we are fellow creatures with all of mankind. Not one of us made greater than the other, but all of us made in the image of God. All of us made to recognize Him and to worship Him. This is our place. And so if our heart has forsaken our Master, if our heart... The very innermost part of our being has rejected the fact that we have a maker, a creator, then we are likely to grow arrogant and bold. So the first thing that we have to recognize, as Ecclesiasticus reminds us, is our relationship to God, our relationship to our maker. That we are made of dust, to dust we will return, and the only way that we will make it out of this place is if we are related to our God and maker, if we acknowledge why it is that he made us. Then in the letter of the Hebrews, we read the second part of this formula. The second part of the formula against pride and arrogance. The formula for allowing us to connect in humility to God and our lowliness of heart. And that second part is brotherly love. So first we love God and then we love our neighbor. And this brotherly love is a love where we look at those who are around us and we seek their needs. 
That's what love is. Love isn't a warm feeling. It isn't this warmness in our hearts. It isn't this kind of, uh, this sop, uh, this milkiness. It is, a, it is a real strength. Love is an exercise. It's a discipline. It's a discipline of sacrifice. Because we look around us to those who are in need, and we sacrifice ourselves based on their need. So his description of brotherly love, you can see, is that we show hospitality to who? To strangers to prisoners, right, to the mistreated. And of course, at the center of all of this, he recognizes the marriage bed, the marriage relationship, because marriage at his heart is sacrificial love. We can't be married without sacrificial love. The only way that a marriage can be successful is if each partner looks to the other and says, I am willing to sacrifice for you. I'm willing to give up what I want because I have a desire that you get good things, that you have the things that you need. And the heart within me is desiring these good things for you. That's the only way that marriage can be successful, that it can be healthy, uh, that it can be renewing. And it's a mirror for our relationship with God. So we're able to practice our relationship with God in marriage and we're able to practice our relationship in marriage by a relationship to God. You can see how these two relationships are intertwined. And then he says something that uh, maybe is just for me. Maybe the rest of you have this figured out, right? Contentment. I need to hear about contentment. Maybe the rest of you have this one beat. Contentment's a tough one, isn't it? Especially, I think, in this culture, because we have a multi-billion dollar industry in this culture that we plug ourselves into, whose whole purpose is to stir up discontent. Right? It's called marketing. Right? Billions of dollars spent, right, to show us commercials for free on television and radio. When you can watch TV for free and they're trying to sell you something, guess who the real product is? Us. What are they trying to do? They're trying to say, you're not happy with who you are. You're not happy with where you are. You're not happy with how you feel. You're not happy with how your neighbors see you. You're not happy with how your friends see you. Buy my product and you'll be happy. So they put a pebble in our shoe to stir up discontentment. And we participate in it. We allow ourselves to be sold this discontentment. If we allow ourselves to be humble, and we spend time in that relationship with God, and we recognize that all of this is going to be over very soon, we're going to be returning to ash very soon, then we will begin to receive that contentment that comes with being in relationship to God. He says, be content with what you have. For God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always. You don't need that stuff. You don't need other people or things. I'm providing all of this for you. I'm your provider. I'm your protector. I'm the one that takes care of you. Not some company, not a country, not a military, not an institution, nothing. God is the one that protects us. He is the one that provides. He says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is where the great heroes of God get their courage. This is how David is able to stand to Goliath. David says, I've got a job to do. God gave me a job. It's his job. What do I have to fear? I'm just doing what God told me to do. No giant can stop me. No bear. 
God's given me purpose. It's His work to be done. What can man do? Nothing. So our contentment comes when we recognize God's promise to us and we're able to humble ourselves, to make ourselves low, and we're looking to God to provide in all things. And we do that in Sabbath rest. Now here's the radical thing that I think that Jesus is telling us about Sabbath. What he's showing to us is every day is Sabbath day. Every day is Sabbath day because he is preparing us He is preparing us to be citizens in a new country. He's preparing us to be immigrants to a new kingdom that he calls the new city, Jerusalem. And what do we read there? What do we read as the sun? Is it a star in the sky? What is the sun of the new city of Jerusalem? Where does our light come from? Jesus. He is the star. He is the center. He is the one that provides light. Does that light ever go down in the new city? Is there dusk or dawn? The sun is always shining. So we are preparing to live in that new place where there can be no Sabbath because there are no days. We're not marking those kinds of days. Every day is a day of rest in Jesus. We read last week that psalm, Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still, be still, and know that I am For I will be exalted among the Gentiles, and I will be exalted in the earth. He's saying, take it easy. I'm going to be exalted. I'm doing that. There's nothing you can do to make that happen. Rest in me. Be in my Sabbath rest. In Jesus' Sabbath rest, what is the work that He always does? He does works of grace and healing. He does works of mercy and forgiveness. When we rest in the Lord and we wait upon Him and we're in His Sabbath rest, and we truly wait upon Him, He gives us that work to do. He gives us grace and mercy to do. And that looks like grocery shopping, It looks like cleaning toilets. It looks like going to school and to work. Because if we do those things out of our love for God and our love for our neighbor, if we're going to work out of love to provide grace, if we're going to to grocery shop for our family out of mercy, then we're always in God's Sabbath rest. That work comes out of a hunger, a thirst to bestow grace and mercy upon those that God has given us to serve. And in that way, we are every day in His Sabbath. We are every day in His rest. And we are every day dwelling in His kingdom. With Him at the center. Where there is no more crying. And no more tears.